There are some assumptions about what, what standards mean for good middle class life, and those are always to be kept in tension with the reality of what's going on, because it is only through that tension that you raise standards. That's the belief. And where do these standards come from? These standards come from a universalized notion of middle class life, which is now, you know, what do they call it? 3BHK, 2BHK, what the hell does it mean? It means that the world is now living as nuclear families, where there's one place where you meet others and you eat, there's another place where you cook, there's another place where you wash yourselves and ablution, and another place where you go to sleep. This has become the norm, the universal norm. And it is actually a fossilizing of the notion of living which starts in the 1940s in India. शरीर देश है देश शहर है शहर मशीन है हम सब इस मशीन के कलपुर्जे हैं आई मीन दिस इज अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग पॉइंट एट विच वी कैन बिगिन टू थिंक अबाउट और और वर्क और टॉक अबाउट योर एंगेजमेंट विथ फिल्म बिकॉज दिस साउंड अ लिटिल बिट लाइक uh the characterization basically the the, the making yeah. of a character which is quite uh, complex in this case uh, when it comes to an architecture studio uh, uh design studio in a architecture institute we have uh, a teacher trying to construct and project a kind of figure uh as you say and then there are students that are somehow in between mimesis uh, mimetic trying to imitate as well as trying to construct uh, a, an a vulnerability of their own that can allow for that learning how how does uh, is it and, and in your work in films we have seen not uh, what i would call scripted characters right they are very simply put they are documentary films uh, as a simple category and uh, but there is still somehow a, an aesthetic sense of characterizations in these films is it do you think it's fair to ask you uh, if you have uh, who who or what is acting in your films is that is that a, a oblique question Ooh. just for the sake of obliqueness or do you <laughs> see uh, figures or uh, characters as acting when you think of filming so the question really is this right in that sense um if one is thinking about uh, you know using the uh, the idea of the performance mm-hmm. as, as the metaphor i presume uh, 
uh, through which one is looking at film. The question is, who is the one who's performing? You're right. Yeah. Um, and in the film, in the in the documentary film, especially, uh, let's let let's just say if I'm talking about let's say you see you guys saw Lovely Villa, right? No? Yes. Yeah. 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 You also nostalgia for the future. These are the yes. Movies, right? Yes. Now in uh, both cases, uh, well. Okay, I'll answer the first one. It's an interesting question for me to think through. Uh, Nostalgia for the Future was made for an organization that was Films Division India, which mm-hmm. is the government propaganda wing. Mm-hmm. In government India, propaganda. It's been around from like, since the 1940s, making propaganda films, which very often were ways in which the, uh, the, the country, we were all supposed to become those ideal citizens. And right. the propaganda was showing us in the mirror of the screen Hmm. whom we were supposed to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Nostalgia for the Future is a film that was really exploring that imagination of Indian citizenship. Uh-huh. It was imagined by the state. Hmm. Okay. Now, the curious thing about, uh, about that imagination of the state is that it emerged from a very sort of bourgeois middle class, the idealized citizen. Hmm. And it was that particular idealized citizen, a bourgeois middle-class citizen, who was seen as the idealized uh, inhabitation of Indian citizenship. Hmm. A real rich like... Yeah, which actually was us. Hmm. Uh, the professionals, engineers, doctors, architects, us. In many ways, it was us speaking to us. Uh-huh. Hmm. The filmmakers who were making those images as well belong to the same class and probably cast uh-huh. as I did. Uh-huh. Okay. I was also watching it saying, ah, yeah, this is how we should be. So it I can totally relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we are supposed to become. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so when we decided to make nostalgia for the future uh, and we were exploring that image mm-hmm. of who we were supposed to become through architecture and through film, in many ways what we were doing was it was a self-portrait. Because the film was about ourselves as architects and as filmmakers, as middle-class bourgeois imaginations mm-hmm. and, and our middle-class bourgeois imaginations of what constitutes Indian modernity. Mm-hmm. And we are very conscious of that when we begin to make a film for the damn propaganda wing of India. Okay. Mm. It's almost like an internal critique. Yes. Mm. It was Institutional critique. Yeah. Imagined as an internal critique within the uh, within the film itself. Mm-hmm. So now, when you talk about performance, hmm, uh, and I then think about the film, who, what we were performing, okay, was it was was the voiceover, right. the voiceover that is in the film was a Hindi voiceover mm-hmm. that was usually in state state uh, state Hindi, you know, slightly yeah. yeah. on. On the kind of flowers, mm. like, yes, that, uh, yeah, a certain kind of uh, efflorescence, I guess you could <laughs> <laughs> um, And that was the voice we chose to inhabit, mm-hmm. okay. It's our voice speaking in that voice. It's a like, I like the idea of ventriloquism, we're using yeah. that voice to say something. Mm. But what happens in the film, actually, it, towards the end, especially. Um, is that that voice begins to destabilize, doesn't know what it says anymore. It starts mm-hmm. getting confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
especially at the end. I don't know if you guys remember the uh, remember the end, but uh, uh, and uh, because at the end, uh, that voice comes to realize that it has actually been speaking only to itself. That famous sequence. Okay, I'll. Can I go through that sequence? Please, yeah, yeah, please, yeah. please do it. Do it. We've yeah. seen them fairly Movie. recently. Yeah, but all right. So we remember, love you to narrate. Mm. So you remember uh, Dilip Kumar at the end mm-hmm. of yeah. the film. Yeah, uh, the clip from the film Amar. That's mm-hmm. that, that's how the entire end is set up. Actually, it begins with that. Yeah. Um, that's so. That's a so extraordinarily interesting film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a film that uh, is made out think 1954 or so, if I'm not wrong. And uh, Dilip Kumar plays a lawyer, mm-hmm. and um, as a lawyer, he represents I think middle class India. But not just middle class India. He is also Gandhi, Ambedkar, and Nehru, all lawyers, hmm? Hmm. all together. Yeah. So, um, so what what the film does is this, right? It takes this figure of the lawyer, mm-hmm. the modern, mm-hmm. and it brings him to the village, the village, the the tribal world of the village, where he sees this extremely beautiful, exotic woman mm-hmm. who is a tribal girl, and he is fascinated by her because she represents a certain kind of truth. And she is fascinated by him because he represents a certain kind of modernity. Right. And that encounter between them is played out for the sort of erotic charge that it has for a while. Until one night, there's a storm, and this woman is uh, being stopped by another man from the village. So she doesn't know where else to run. So she runs into the home of the modernizer, mm-hmm. thinking that yeah, you know, he's cool. He will save me. Mm-hmm. And what happens there, of course, is that the modernizer was absolutely fine as long as the wild stayed outside his home. When the wild enters his home, he doesn't know what else to do, so he destroys it by raping her. Okay. This is the first forty minutes of the film, but let's say first half of the film. The rest of the film is the modernizer, the middle class bourgeois modernizer, professional, mm-hmm. feeling guilty about the fact that his value systems and the way that he actually practiced were at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. What kind of a paradox? Yeah. Ah, silly, a serious one. Mm-hmm. It really goes at the heart of Indian modernity. Mm-hmm. जब वकील एक गांव आया, तो अपने साथ प्रगति और आधुनिकता के विचार लाया. वहां बिहड़ में उसे एक अल्हड़ सुंदर युवती मिली जिसका आकर्षण वकील की समझ के बाहर था से भागती उस युवती को अपनी शरण में पाकर अपनी असंगत भावनाओं से विवश वो उस युवती के विरुद्ध हो गया यहां क्यों आए और उसने उसका नाश कर दिया stable voiceover in 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 the film nostalgia mm-hmm. the voiceover now says kya yaar ho kya raha hai you know in the silence in this emptiness in, in, when we are looking at the 
at at the uh, kind of uh, development in gurgaon as mm-hmm. a yeah. fields and stuff master fields uh, and he says that you know shayad meri awaaz hi mera ghar hai you know there's a sort huh. of where the voice and the home tend to collapse into each other and everything ends up becoming a void actually yeah and in that void uh, there is there seems to be at some point that where do we stand what is our role anymore mm-hmm. are we even relevant anymore mm. and then you have the end sequence so i so then and then at the end you have this uh, uh the end sequence which is of course that we have these beautiful you know sunset light in gurgaon mm. high rises in the background silver tin huts in the foreground catching beautiful evening light and little boys you know children in slum kids are so cute right mm-hmm. they are up in the and uh, it's such a gorgeous cliche upon which we could end the film dekho kitna dukh hai zindagi mein and that would be such a classic way in which any films division film would end or any documentary would end mm. but there was something deeply deeply um, uncomfortable about that image for us so what we decided to do at that point is use that to really in many ways um, do a critique of the position of the bourgeois intellectual modern man so what we did mm-hmm. is this uh, mukul then takes out uh, you see him do it right you yeah. see in the self yeah. footage uh-huh. uh, mukul kind of taking uh, putting a film yeah you know, mm-hmm. wide camera and shooting gorgeous grainy black and white images of these same boys yeah. so we are turning that exotic image into even more exotic uh-huh. and and what we do then is get these kids and these kids are just staring staring into staring at you and we chose to just stop all sound entirely no so content no there's no sound so the only sound that you have is actually silence mm-hmm. and the sound of the creaking of the chairs of the audience because they then begin to fill up that space mm-hmm. they inhabit in other words that world um and what happens there is that we have this gaze and this gaze is a strange gaze the kids are looking at you and thinking yaar tu hota kon hai mujhe kuch batane uh-huh. it's not it's not a violent gaze it's just a sort of quizzical yeah. who are you who am i whom do you want me to become what should i perform myself as for you this camera is that is telling me mai karu kya huh? and we are on this side as middle class bourgeois professionals saying yaar you know we are going to perform something for us that that's fair <laughs> Until the of course, of yeah, privilege yeah, yeah. and curiosity tension. Yeah. So there's a tension, na, in 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 that entire entire yeah. class caste uh, separation. Mm-hmm. That that is mediated by that that instrument of image making, mm-hmm. the specialized kind of. Yeah. And that then, of course, breaks into the end, which is the which is the girls uh, playing the drums below the flyover in Bombay. Mm-hmm. um and we felt that it was important to kind of allow for that to happen uh, because it seemed to us that there were modernities that we did not necessarily understand trained in a certain way mm-hmm. uh certain kinds of inhabitations that were that were also releases of the modern but in formations that were not recognizable and continue to be uh, illegible uh, to many ways in which we see the uh, modern in the world right well, unfortunately too many too many times when we see them we usually fall into the binaries of saying oh this is uh, 
uh, illegal or whatever. It's noisy and it needs to be. This is not modern. It's like tribal almost. And that is one imagination. Mm-hmm. The other one is of course saying, "Oh, how interesting! Look at these amazing things that they're doing. Oh, such exciting, wonderful, dynamic cities. Such a surprising yeah. element yeah. in yeah, these exotic. Yeah. It's shocking. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Like that, so uh-huh. we felt that it was important to kind of allow for that also to kind of erupt, to just leave it open yeah. uh, for us to start thinking about maybe to reconsider imaginations of the modern. That's actually what they. So when you spoke about the idea of performance, in many ways, nostalgia for the future is us performing ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just also I think somewhere there was a presentation which I ha- which we happened to see. You also state this, uh, the these kind of four levels. You know, the body, mm-hmm. the home, the city, and then the nation, right? Yeah. And this yeah. uh, this paradox comes to the fore when when we imagine that this this apparatus for becoming modern, uh, yeah. instructed upon by the the by Jawaharlal Nehru's first government, and you know that kind of plan when Films Division is really uh sort of uh articulating this um uh, this this toolkit or this tool set for the modern mm-hmm. citizen to emerge but it somehow doesn't include in these four layers the the rural in a way one mm-hmm. and on the other end you 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 see if you look back at history that the the, the nehru government is also one of the uh those first 15 years is when agriculture and reform and rural reform is like really put into yeah. so much pressure and you know there is uh, like pressure as in so much steam, uh, steam, steam. it catches a lot of steam mm. in that sense yeah. so is there this is there a sort of um, position on on this kind of a, of this paradox that that kind of appeared or did you confront it in any way? I mean, uh, the, the, the metonym, metonym yeah. of yeah. Uh, uh, body, home, city word okay, yeah. uh, was used as a way to really talk about the fact that there was a utopian imagination right? that's mm-hmm. at stake. Yeah. And, and in utopias, uh, there is very rarely any uh, slippage between these. It's imagined that one neatly flits into the other. There's no give, yeah. Also. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the way that the metonym was uh, played with. And we then we spoke of the metonym in three, four different ways across the whole. The the first one was the uh, kind of idea of the performing body. Mm. Uh, the second one was the naked body. The third one was the bodiless body or fleshless body. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, uh, mathematical They'll body. call it virtual these days. <laughs> no, it's not virtual really. It's, it's abstract rather. The abstract <laughs> body. Um, and uh, so that, that that is one that was uh, one entire story. Uh, the idea of the city, though, and and the rural, I, I'm not very certain that the that uh, I think in that utopian imagination of neat fits. Okay, the village was also supposed to play a certain role. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it existed. It's not as if it didn't exist in that in that hierarchy. Okay. Um, so I mean I'm just saying that maybe maybe the, it, it existed not necessarily within when I'm when we, when we speak of city we are not necessarily talking the sheher we are talking about the uh, idea of the collective actually in some sense mm-hmm. okay the, the city as an idea kind of socialization that. is yeah. more central to that I I I quickly want to go 
not necessarily back to that uh, conversation per se but i quickly want to ask uh, so when you talk about uh, films division and, and the idea of the indian state uh, coming up with uh, this particular institution that must produce the propaganda uh that they at least believe is their agenda instead of a sort of fake uh, propaganda they they actually believe it's quite an authentic way of educating our newly formed populace and the indian peoples must find what they must find and uh, what i want to go back to with this in mind is uh, a comment about the collectives within mumbai at least coming uh Uh, kind of organically organizing themselves without uh, very very clearly defined agendas do you think this is uh, mildly reactionary to our our social democratic uh, system that existed till 92 that indian thought today or uh, at least uh, since both of us uh, no more uh, no mumbai much better is it something that is a reaction to that where we we kind of are maybe slightly allergic to to coining a new term and writing a whole thesis and discussing a thought for 20 years among various collectives and saying no i mean subaltern is probably not the only thing we can come up with there is there is more there are more to us that we can Uh, I think, think. there are. I think there are many, many different sorts of ideas that are in the air. You know, I think, uh, especially with the with over the past six, seven years, with the new government's new policies, mm-hmm. uh, the political has taken center stage in much of the conversations concerning citizenship, concerning identity, concerning. Uh, I think uh, one of the great resurgences in Ambedkar is actually uh, is really part of that story. You mm-hmm. know, I think. Uh, Uh, revisiting some of the presumptions and some of the main values that were that that existed within the construction of the indian state and the idea of the indian citizen if nostalgia for the future has done all the screenings that it has i think it has it, i think nostalgia for the future also emerged because of that particular crisis it emerges because of the questions of citizenship and identity become central again to uh, who we are and in many ways it's it's making a lot of us go back to uh, the nehruvian era and and look upon it again uh, away from the sort of uh, cynicism that was very much part of the way we saw it in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s mm-hmm. uh, start thinking about it in new terms thinking that like what thinking about the ways in which there was an attempt to construct an indian citizenship a certain idea of who we were it failed it did fail in many ways but it also was very successful in many ways it was yeah yeah, yeah. from what we, we read at least yeah yeah we we tend to focus a lot on the fact of the failures which we should but we should also recognize that it that that uh, it was able in many ways to create institutional systems as well as uh, methods through which many people managed to uh, access uh, modern i would say modernity सफेद पोशाक में इंजीनियर साहब आए दाढ़ी बनाकर साफ सुथरे सफेद पूर्णिमा के चांद की तरह सफेद इनके हाथों हमारा उद्धार लिखा था इनका अस्त्र इनकी बुद्धिमत्ता जो अव्यवस्था से व्यवस्था छीन लाती सतह देखकर भीतर की गहराई भांप लेती इनका अस्त्र विज्ञान 
आधुनिकता की कल्पना नागरिकों के एकजुट होकर एक ही समय काल में अपने इतिहास और भूगोल की भिन्नता मिटाकर सांस से सांस मिलाकर काम करने में है विविधता और समानता की धुंधली रेखाएं पहचानने में है when you say that there are all these new uh, people or or sometimes even newer ideas about people from our history that are being discussed somehow aesthetics does not get foregrounded does it in yes, these discussions there's no art movement or not movement i'm not calling for a new movement yeah. i'm saying no need no, for isms yeah. <laughs> yeah no no need for isms but when you mention mm. we must write new histories one of the things i i would say uh, are crucial to be able to write a history is to have a an aesthetic reading of something where there are sort of speculations on why or what exactly uh, draw drew attention i i mean i see i am not in i'm not an art theorist or an art historian sure uh, but i do know that uh, there have been people who i think in the 90s and the 2000s mm-hmm. who are trying to in many ways grapple with the con- with, with the contemporary art scene at least i'm not i wouldn't uh, not an expert uh, but uh, i know friends who are i guess so, you know, maybe they would be better to kind of uh, talk about it in terms of what are the uh, what are the uh, sorts of things that they are interested in and I, but, but but to kind of take your point uh, kind of a little further sure. uh, there is a point i think that you have about the way that we always frame our own work that we do within the terms of the international uh, sort of mm-hmm. uh, market market for ideas as markets, well markets yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah absolutely market for ideas as well no so um, i think that uh, but the question really i have is that how else does one do that yeah no. uh, is is exactly <laughs> no which language do we choose to speak in this is the i mean i i, do, I would hesitate uh, to hesitate to call uh, indian academia subaltern uh, because really they it's a highly brahmanical and very very I, I, absolutely <laughs> you know so but uh, but still uh, even given 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 the fact that within the international academic scene you do you do inhabit uh, a margin Uh, and if you think about the way that uh, spivak gayatri um, frames the argument about uh, speaking mm-hmm. um, and then you think about and, and and if you use a similar sort of imagination to uh, think about the way that uh, subaltern hit that i hate using it for uh, myself actually because it's not necessarily true absolutely uh, but uh, but uh, but if you, but if you think about it she she effectively makes an argument that says that uh to speak one has to don the language of the people in power then what do you do um to be heard if those are the only languages that are then available to you mm. because the and under the language itself is one that only allows a certain kind of power to mm-hmm. emerge yeah then is silence the only option or is denial the other option or is i mean even absolute even rejection Yeah. yeah absolute rejection uh, is the only absolute rejection is silence actually you know? mm-hmm. 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 um so that is a kind of comp- so i mean 
it's a difficult question because I, I you know, I very often find that to be so, especially because you get called to different places to present, no? Right. Like you're presenting all these various people, no? And then you have to play, then you have to kind of make something legible to somebody else. You know? And in the making of the legible, you are in many ways uh, actually uh, speaking for, speaking in the language of something else Adopting. about something needs another language or needs another institutional system entirely of mm. validation. Mm. But because we are playing to this particular system, this market, uh, the commodity has to be produced in the terms of this market. Yeah, that's, that's why I find nostalgia for the future and, and also especially with the clarity that you've brought now to be really special work because it does this, um, it almost uh, critiques this idea of appropriating language and it all its problematics with power and all its uh, problems with uh, aesthetics and puts it as a foreground you know this is the one thing that i'm guessing is would be uh, easier for you to present you know in a way because so the, even the language you know we found that very important for nostalgia right because mm. we First of all, we didn't expect the film to be shown in places where people wouldn't understand Hindi or people wouldn't know Indian history, actually. We didn't expect that. It wasn't a film that we made with an audience in mind, actually. Hmm. Uh, we, made a, we made the film because it was the film we wanted to make, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Very naive thing to say, but if that's literally the truth. I don't think... People very often ask you that question in a Q&A, you know, who was your intended audience? And <laughs> I actually don't necessarily have an answer to that because... It was actually a film that was made as a conversation between people who share a certain history. So I presume that it was meant for people in India, I mean, yeah. to some extent. Uh, but, on, but then again, you know, you guys belong to a generation that doesn't share the same history as I do. And this film is very much about a particular, uh, a particular history, a particular history of, 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 of being in A very specific in, one, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what I found is that somehow because of I guess the mode of the making of the film which is montage largely and mm -hmm. voiceover uh, that it seems to hit a chord somewhere you know, like some things seem to resonate with different people uh, in different parts of the world so the film has actually been it's traveled so much that I'm still constantly amazed by the fact that this film that is really that doesn't bother to tell you who Ambedkar is Mm. Or Gandhi, for that matter. Or Gandhi, or Nehru, you know. Mm. It drops these names and moves on. Um, is, do, is, is, is being seen in, uh, I don't know, Mexico, you know. And like, yeah. I'm, I'm still wondering, like, you? <laughs> like, what do they get from it? You know, it's like yeah, a question. Yeah. But then I realized that I was being naive, actually. We never ask those questions for fiction films. Uh, <laughs> fiction films often present very specific realities of people who are not like us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, people in I don't know Morocco and uh, I don't know, Thailand, Thailand or wherever. Yeah. But yet somehow we find ways of enriching our own kind of experience of that by by mirroring ourselves within those spaces. Right. And the film yeah. allows you to do that, yeah. and I think that's what films do. It doesn't have to. Is that we find what we want to within the world, projecting the world. into a different sort of reality. Yeah, we make it our own yeah, in many ways. Yeah, that's, a, that's really amazing. I want to, I think this is also a great point to go back to uh, academia and your academic work. I, I have spoken to Chirag a lot uh, about some of the uh, study trips, study <laughs> trips and projects that you guys have uh, yeah. taken. And I think 
I think it's really uh, personally for me. I have enjoyed learning while, as naive as it sounds, while outside. You know, yeah. there there is an absolute commitment to our uh, modes of production that is drawing or whatever it is drawing, modeling, uh, all kinds of new uh, uh, tools that exist. But there is really something about uh, standing in a building and and thinking uh, about that formal organization or or whatever uh, aesthetic uh, set of effects and contemplating uh, precisely what might be going on there, you know. Mm. And uh, I think uh, these, uh, especially the ones in Majuli that I that I heard about. <laughs> My first question, with Chirag uh, often talks, my first question is more about w- what what does a student from Mumbai do when they arrive in Majuli? What's the confrontation like? Because I'm imagining, I often think, tell Chirag that w- the people of Majuli, were they looking at you guys and going, oh, these are those people that live in one house that lasts for 40 years because we all went to Majuli saying, Oh, these people build a new house every year. You know, it's you that know, what's the confrontation like? Yeah. It was hilarious. I remember, first of all, it took forever to get three trains. It was a board. four day, four day travel. <laughs> it was hell. And we had people from Chirag's batch, you know, with these beautiful, large. <laughs> Sorry, and Chirag's batch is particularly interesting because it had these real divas, you know, all over, boys as well as girls. And all these divas are being taken across the country in a train uh, and, um, you know, being asked to kind of lift bags, put bags. I mean, it was like a, it was like an entire process of... Driver, Hamari Gardilea. <laughs> I, am, I am too close to this to not enjoy this conversation, not consume. I want to hear more. I want ahead. to hear more. Chirish, Chirish, uh, Paul, me, and I was just laughing away at these women <laughs> and these boys with these big bags. And they come completely prepared with different kinds of shoes and stuff. Okay, it was hilarious. And then you come to Marjuli and they are living in a hotel that is still not completed. It's under construction. The boys have to sleep in an auditorium, okay, mm-hmm. uh, which is a common toilet. And, they, and the girls get these rooms, whatever. That evening that we arrived there, this class asks for a meeting. We have to talk to you. So we're like, okay, chalo, we'll talk to them. And I don't know whether Chirag told you, but they were working with the Guwahati School of Art, students yeah. from the Guwahati School of Architecture. So that's one room. One room is like the dining room. All these kids are sitting, our students are sitting on the floor, okay, uh, below. The Guwahati students are in a ring around them, staring at these strange Bombay creatures with their really big bags <laughs> and the faculty sitting on chairs in a long lines looking at them and it begins and oh and by the way it had rained I think the previous night yeah. so there were these yeah. black insects you know that oh, happened yeah. In, yeah. and there were tube lights so there were black insects everywhere in the room yeah. especially in the toilets I remember there were four toilets and the tube lights were covered by them anyways continue <laughs> Uh, so it was amazing. That's the situation. That's what that's what Majuri is. Now what to do? It's not very. You're not going to get anything better than that. That was mm. the best that was. Possible. 
and these guys just like gone a rampage what kind of place have you gotten us to what kind of stupid place is this they don't even have toilets and they are serving water out of a broken or a rusted something it was one long tirade that just went on and on and at the end we just at those gohati students are staring at them right because that's their world and these guys are just giving galis to their world okay the, to everything that they are inhabiting with absolutely no shame whatsoever I okay. want to speak to your manager kind of attitude. Yeah. Ah, really, totally. Uh, I was very yeah. privileged, very smug. Okay, uh, and it was excessive. I was, <laughs> I was livid. Actually, we were all very angry, but also very amused because we found the whole thing very entertaining. Uh, and then uh, I think I think we fired them or something like that. If I'm not wrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a proper. Uh, it was yeah. a proper session. I remember. Yeah, that was, was laundry, like, laundromat yeah. session. Yeah. yeah, you humiliate them and you do emotional blackmail and you anger. You do all the things that your teacher, yeah. that you're you're supposed to do. You do all of the above. Yeah. And we send them back. Six, six days there in that place, going to these satras, wearing their dhotis and their uh, mekla chadars. And at the end of which, they're like. Oh, thank you so much. What a wonderful place! It is so beautiful. They're such wonderful people. I was like, one way or the other, please make the, a move. The best thing was that the <laughs> after the first night, after all this happens, the second night happens. I don't. I think you remember this. Is that those Guwahati students start mm. bringing meat? and start bringing other things to barbecue <laughs> and there are these huge sessions outside with the bonfire and everything and these guys are wo kurchi bolte hai wo jo bigu dance and yeah, yeah they have that they have everything happening and we are like enmeshed by now it is like are ha chicken de raha hai okay everything unites with this <laughs> idea of this barbecue that is happening here <laughs> and then it's all gone <laughs> But I mean, you know, I think I think actually for me, what is actually, if you ask me personally, besides the main major drawings that happened in Marjuli, the projects that these guys did were very below par. Yeah, bluntly, I have to tell you, they were not great at all. Hmm? Hmm. Um, they were very ordinary, I felt. Um, but the major drawings were super. They were really, really, really nicely done, and I felt like the act of making those drawings itself, you know, physically sitting and sleeping on those drawings, making those stupid stipples and those trees, although uh, it was live. Quite unnecessarily labor intensive was actually was actually fantastic because I think they you learn so much by that labor na, that your body learns labor which is which I felt was a was really wonderful uh, thing that happened there. that was great fun and that entire way back also was crazy because it 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 somehow for me there is a common thread with uh, you as an actor. uh between uh, especially just in our conversation today when you bring up that particular uh, uh instance where the dutch arrived in bombay and uh, mm. now going through all the aspects of our conversation we've arrived at a point where the assamese are standing in a ring looking at mm. uh indian creatures i think uh, in all your work uh, there is this common thread of uh that the complete dis- disturbance that the idea of identity already has where someone like you would you ever bother uh, worrying about uh, uh, a what's called today cultural appropriation does it matter to you would no, you no, worry it about doesn't it? Bother. it doesn't bother me 
In fact, actually, I get annoyed with people who believe that there that there is only one identity that I inhabit. I've never inhabited only one identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think actually, as a queer person, uh, one is I, f- I find that to be more and more important nowadays to to be able to really think about uh, if you're growing up queer in Bombay or in India or mm-hmm. in the world, uh, there is no other. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. There is no person that you can look up to. You don't exist, my friend. Mm-hmm. There's no person on the other side of the damn mirror. Try and understand that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and if that person exists, that person is just a strange kind of creature. Like, Almost a shadow. Yeah. Uh, whatever, right? What, mm-hmm. you, have, you have a certain kind of demonization. Right. Of, of that very uh, figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that itself... Uh, so what does that do actually? Because finally, to be, you have to kind of constantly. You need mirrors, no, around you. Yeah. Uh, so what you do is that you start uh, frag. You you start donning fragmented mirrors. Is that you have like you start making up uh, identities. Mm-hmm. You take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then you start kind of performing these different. Sorts of imagination. So I've never had what they call a hero or a, what do you call the mentor? I don't. Yeah. Never had. They, they are all like whatever. But I've had many people whom I've stolen from or learned from, I mm. guess you could call it. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's what being queer allows you to do. It allows you to construct your own sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And that construction of identity doesn't happen in a void, it happens by stealing. Mm-hmm. Okay. It happens because there's no one is giving it to you, for God's sakes, you have to steal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, architecture so, also in in uh, learning architecture also we grew up being told draw yeah, a drawing by a famous guy and see what you can steal yeah so I don't have so so when I think about cultural appropriation and all of those things right I think that actually some of the greatest work I love, most of the work I love happens when cultures mix and collapse and corrupt each other. You know? mm-hmm. Like rock music. I love rock music because of that, actually. You know, mm-hmm. the work of uh, whatever, MIA. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's full of these sorts of collapses which are so incredibly exciting. Queen. Uh, a city like Bombay is so alive because of these collapses. Those don't happen because of like unified identities. Uh, it's through only these sorts of pollutions and corruptions really that that energies come. Mm. So when I think about this idea of kind of identity politics, now I understand why it's necessary. Okay, I understand why it's necessary because it's important to dawn that identity to be able to claim a right. So whether that's whether you're you know in in, in, in whether that's a queer queer identity, but. But to imagine that I am only that would be reducing the possibilities of what I can be to being merely that. And I don't ever want to do that to myself. Right. I want to be able to enjoy a Rajnikanth film and I want to be able to enjoy a Tarkovsky film. And I want to be able to listen to Hindi film music and I want to be able to listen to uh, whatever, you know. I want to allow myself the possibility of being multiple people. Yeah, Chirag and I have a very almost unhealthy obsession with Kawali at the moment. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, we love it. I mean, I think that that's. I think it just makes your life more pleasurable, and you seem to enjoy much more. And you also are. And if and also, it allows me to be a little more generous to people. But Ron, you would you would never say there is uh, bad uh, stealing. 
not not I'm not suggesting ethics here. I'm saying uh, uh, taking aspects of uh, different works and trying to produce and create something. But uh, no, it's it, there must be a value is a there scale a, or a value system of figuring out which cultural object. Yeah, I agree. Is I there agree. a is there a critical mass of subjectivities in a yeah you know? No, see, I would say that like you know, I'm 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 kind of extra. I'm saying this is absolutely amazing to kind of steal things and stuff like that. But yes, one has to be uh, one has to understand also. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that there are works that come out of very particular sorts of histories. Mm-hmm. If one is going to be stealing from them, one has to also uh, also keep in mind that you're also stealing a part of that history. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. It's important to know that you that 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 the work is not only image that you can happily appropriate and do whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it comes holding something at the back, and that's it's important to know that. Or or to. Uh... Terrible word, but use it uh, as uh, that it would provide a new meaning to it or a, or a reinterpretation. Yeah, it also there's a there is and there there is a, a point where you need to understand that your own position comes from a certain position of power that is allowing you to appropriate things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, many people do not necessarily have that possibility. I belong to a certain place where I am allowed that freedom to, mm-hmm. to appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who do not necessarily have the position where they can, where they are not allowed to, where every single thing that is theirs is really theirs and they really want to hold on to it. It would be stupid of me to simply come and take it and you know, kind of play with it just because I can. Mm-hmm. So that kind of respect should be there, I think. I mean, one can't, you know, but but one can also uh, kind of be, uh, be respectful of <laughs> And also uh, find what one wants to within it. It's not an easy thing to do, but I think that's the kind of uh, world uh, that I would like to uh, imagine can exist. And actually, that's really the way that people work in the world. If you look like TikTok videos and you look at things like that, they are, like, they are you know, they are, they are voicing their own uh, desires through many other people's voices all the time. They are appropriating other people's faces, other people's music, and they are making them their own, with their mm. own bodies. And how do you qualify this when it happens in your, let's say, design studio? When a student Actually, expresses a, a kind of a very specific fascination, how, how do you ask them to uh, uh, identify its qualities and then work with so, it? I mean, what you do is that if you if a guy gets your M. Kula's building and says, you know, you're banana, those, huh? uh-huh. <laughs> then you're like, banana. I'm like, very simply, the site is there, na. Yeah. The site is there, the presence is there, the love for that place is there, the love for those people is there. And if the Rem Kula's building is going to be able to do that, then go ahead. Kya problem hai? But it won't, na. It won't. It can't. It will change. It has to change. Because there is the site, there is the presence of the of that particular. The presence of the particular cannot allow for a generic transportation of something else. Mm. And if it does, even that is superly, supremely strange. Like the miniature what Eiffel Tower in China. Mm-hmm. How does that come? But how how would the student uh, think? Because we we often Chirag and I often try to go back to those moments where we've come across these discussions, and 
because our thoughts are more about okay if it can't or can how do we gauge that how do we learn to see it happen in front of our eyes we want to know uh, what uh, constitutes reading uh, this kind of a appropriation how how do you read something pro appropriation when you want to appropriate something when you're reading it what do you tell your students like it's not going to work on the site and if the student says uh, but why i mean it's a building if i can fit it in in i think there is also this question about bring the presence of the site it's very it's actually not that difficult to do hmm. we just bring the presence of the site the, the tangibility and the concreteness of that particular moment and space and time okay huh? Once that exists, those mm. communities exist, that climate mm. exists, all of those exist. You have that, na? That will automatically weigh the particular dump. It is. It's not easy to simply kind of take villa sawa and dump it, even uh, even in Alibag actually. Mm. Yeah, it's difficult to do. Do you? I think. Um, it's about so. I will ask one question just now. It's like uh, there is this uh, in in most of your uh, lectures you talk about, um, or even when we were in school, there was also the uh, there was always uh, a description of spaces, you know, as a as a uh, as a as a body that has to be given some kind of articulation. through architecture in that sense now we've come across people who talk of that term that that body being the room itself you know not spaces rooms do you look at and there is and it's not merely those functional rooms you know yeah. the the colloquially we would say Are you a space guy or a room guy? You yeah, know something the, about the when you see a plan. Yeah. There is the poche, and then there is the uh, the space, and then the, the, there is what the French call the poche, yeah. the black, the unknowable part of architecture that you can only know its sort of skin, right? Because you can experience it from both sides, the inside and the outside, in a plan, but you cannot actually know what exactly is in the wall once it's packed. Yeah. So, are you are you a space person or a room person? Space. Space. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I've been accused of being a romantic, a phenomenological romantic, touchy feely, and, <laughs> and all of the above. I'm I'm actually fairly. I think I love the feeling of wind against my face and water. I think space guy. If I have to choose between the two, yes, uh, space guy. Yeah. I, because I try I mean, to kind of I try to not get into the essentializations of things that, right, yeah. that oh my god it's dark so it's sad <laughs> and it's bright so it's happy not that yeah. just like the experience of something uh, I would like to be uh, more of a space guy I think the idea is also to look at it as a more um, as a practice of a rhetoric no matlab we know that the space and the room is no kind of binary but I what yeah i know it's a dialectical but you huh. know this you have to choose a side and choose one huh. ah theek i choose the more embodied rather than the abstracted it's as simple as that okay uh, one of the problems i have with uh, with what we were discussing earlier parametricism is that it's all abstract and no embodiment largely mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's why I said space guy and not a form guy. Because if uh, if uh, parametricism does much, it makes forms. It doesn't make spaces. And uh, because especially, and I'm, I'm also thinking while uh, this conversation is happening, and now it also somehow feels. I don't know if ironic is a good word, but somehow feels a little bit ironic that you are a space guy. That means you refuse to allow only your visual senses to dominate. You you must experience uh, through as many senses as you you can uh, conjure, but. your second uh, love let's say is films yeah but you know films are not about only the visual uh, i think the I, i think to kind of separate the uh, the senses themselves into these clear sorts of categories itself is also not very useful in the okay. movies i think okay. that i think when you are like when you're watching a tarkovsky film and you're hearing the water there is a liquidity that is very much part of that feeling that you're getting you know? uh the visual and the and the oral is able to translate uh many different sorts of uh, mm-hmm. ideas huh? mm-hmm. because because our memories in many ways uh, are able to connect the sound of water to the feeling of water it's not the the idea of experience doesn't only exist at a particular space and time it is also collected over time right mm. and uh, so me- memory also plays an important role in the way one really uh, kind of uh, like for like very simply put now when uh, It, uh, the when you hear a particular piece of music, let's say mm-hmm. you're hearing it at that time, but what you're hearing is actually your memory of that music mm-hmm. that you heard while you know three years old, and then you can see that space at that time. Yeah, you can feel yourself in that time. Huh? So uh, the when 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 one thinks about experience, experience is not only the body; the experience is also the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I I was also I guess we're we often. end up uh, micro analyzing and these are great conversations where we can also sort of clear up some of our own trash chirag and i yeah. uh, but i guess my it's it's great to sort of hear from you that the camera need not uh, be such a subjugative force when it comes to uh, how you think about cinema and how you think about making cinema and um, because we we are a generation that saw the uh chirag and i are from the generation that experienced while in academics the switch between uh jao site ke photos leke aao click pictures of the site and where is your google earth image i want to see what is around the site yeah We, and i think there is something there for at least for us that is a very interesting um shift we want to we want to know the difference between how cameras from the turn of the 20th century have seen cities and cities have been shown and what the shift means when it comes to satellite imagery Because architecture seems to be one of the few professions that, up apart from uh, travel apps, Uber and things like that, that uses satellite imagery in a very very enthusiastic way. Mm. 
it's a way of seeing na uh, and i think that it's an let's put it this way huh? is that the way you see is also tells you the way that you that you imagine uh, the mode through which you intervene mm-hmm. and it's it, it, it's actually both together na no? yeah if you think about the fact that uh, that the modern movement uh, is paralleled with the rise of the flying machine uh, the fact that one can suddenly see from the sky mm-hmm. and uh, or even if you start thinking about the invention of perspective in the renaissance as mm-hmm. the primary mode through which you understand space also starts creating in the later era the baroque axes perhaps yeah. uh, that ran through cities of the perfect geometries in in buildings mm-hmm. um to if one is to able to and 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 so this the level of the, the ways in which one see uh, create a mode through which one can begin to uh, conceptualize space at this point and uh, if you are asking me what does it mean when we conceptualize space only through google earth it's a good question i i wouldn't know i think that uh, we right now we are doing a project that's completely on google earth because my students couldn't go to site mm-hmm. all in lockdown um and it is a struggle to get them to start thinking about embodiment and i am a, like i said i'm a space guy right so i really believe in the tangibility of specific uh, specific mm-hmm. locations perform and and light and shadow and materialities right um I'm not a function guy. I don't think fun- I think functionalism is a little overrated. I don't think it's very. There's too much of this bubble diagramming and volumetric <laughs> that happens. I think it's all quite. It makes the worst architecture I've seen. Hmm? But I do believe that there is a certain uh, that every uh, location has a certain energy, and I don't right. mean a spiritual energy, but just plain uh, tangible mm-hmm. thing. Uh, that I don't think one can really get on uh, on a satellite image. I have seen too many of these guys and the projects that they are doing right now uh, that imagine that since you are seeing things on Google Earth, your design process can also effectively completely be digital. Mm-hmm. And what the digital does is that the digital ne- doesn't necessarily deal with two things for me very well yet. Maybe in the future it will, but right now uh, the idea of scale is something that is almost impossible in the digital realm because yeah. the Because you can zoom. zoom. Yeah. yeah. So you're never getting a sense of the scale at which you're working. And the other one is the natural one, which is tang- tangibility, materiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the materials, what I'm seeing, the way that people are using them, is that they are either these preset forms that come within within some software preset, mm-hmm. or it is a rendering on a surface. So you make a shape and then you render it in brick or render mm-hmm. it in something. Application. In thickness and there's no weight to the material you know it's just pure surface yeah which i think are issues as far as the making of architecture is concerned however i know that so many so much architecture is already being made and built like that around the world now you know completely digitalized with all kinds of rationalizations that emerge from things like the parametrics and stuff like that you know where a universal imagination of uh, technology and a universal imaginations of form are uh, are the generators of buildings right multi practices where one firm and uh, kind of thailand is putting together the windows and another firm somewhere else is putting together the toilet plans so things are being done like that na mm-hmm. that kind of mode of practice can only lead to a certain kind of architecture yeah which is architecture of the google earth mm. 
no i, I think, but well that is very much what's happening i i think also there is there is something that we both kind of talk uh, talk about also is this kind of the idea of uh, even at the scale of uh, the student uh, the, this kind of regime of visualization you know these you know when when we were studying the, even the second year or the third year projects there was the the class of 80 would find a sort of way in which a drawing is made and rendered with with or without computer for that matter in the early years without computer and sub- subsequently with and then we see these very sort of fashion trend kind of appearances like abhi in this today's case you can say it's this post digital rendering something like that it's called you know you put these textures in flat uh, on the Blendage. surfaces and and then you give a lot of disturbance to the textures and you know how you go about it so is there something to be said about this kind of trending hashtagging of uh, going back to the earlier thing that you were talking about you know like uh, because arch- architecture is slow but hame kuch karne ke liye chahiye you know that sort of a thing does it come from that uh, frustration that every, every discipline has, is going to have its own sorts of uh, ticks the drawing is the architectural one we love drawings it's our thing um and i love drawings too they're yeah. beautiful it's gorgeous uh, things um not just i mean they they are full of this this beauty to those right? all mm-hmm. kinds of drawings there's also something so desperate about a drawing uh, that there is reality it exists it's all its complexity and the drawing is desperately trying to capture it on a plane it's like it's almost sad right? uh, that it's bound for failure what i like about drawings is that they accept the of, of the kinds of drawings i like is that they accept the failure and what they do is that they try and make the best they they they, they use the they use the uh, abstraction of the representation itself as a more to uh, nar- narrate something particular about 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 the world outside so i love that tension that's always in the air as far as the uh, drawing and uh, the reality uska jo the tension between them is is always very very interesting um what has and yeah there are and like most other uh, commodities um the architectural drawing also has a certain um, things come in fashion and go out of fashion and you know there's always a cycle as far as that is concerned i'm not too concerned about that that will happen uh what is more interesting is that the way in which uh, the way in which one can think about the way in which one can deploy drawing mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what is the what what the how does one choose to draw a particular thing you know when we when we do case when we do our study trips that's always a big discussion mm-hmm. what is the right mode of drawing you know when we went to do you know about chakrata the study trip that we had done no you probably don't no that that one i think by then i had already graduated was very very interesting very very interesting um, i mean every every study trip actually after your class we explored new kinds of uh, techniques drawings. of drawing yeah drawing yeah it was a very important thing uh, when we went to braj and we did the parikrama drawing we did uh, we chose miniatures actually as the miniatures and nilamachi drawings paintings 
but when we went to Chakrata, Chakrata, so the, I was that was really best, okay, because uh, we had decided to we had done Lucknow and we had done Ilhabad, mm-hmm. beautiful cities, lovely architecture, you know, certain scale, and then one of our faculty members said we should go to Chakrata, and Chakrata is like a bunch of villages with vernacular architecture, and I was like, oh no, we are not going to become sept again. ஒன்னும் Because yeah. to imagine that Indian villages are pure would be in many ways to deny their caste and their gender issues. Hmm? Or, or many uh, other, I mean, gangs of Vasapur. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was so pissed off. But I was like, but they said, no, we don't have to go. So I was like, okay, we'll go. But I thought what we'll do is that we'll take the word vernacular and we will uh, break it open. What is the vernacular? So we, so we said that the vernacular is actually the... Uh, it's the vernacular comes from what language people speak in the ground that's as simple as that it's not uh, that's as simple as that na? and if you think about language languages we use in everyday life are constantly morphing and changing simple so what we thought we'll do and they're morphing and changing because of different influences in space and time mm. and in chakrata those villages themselves are always morphing and changing because they live in one village in the summer and another village in the winter literally the community they're always moving hmm? So what we thought we'll do is that really start looking at the relationship of architecture to everyday life. Mm-hmm. But it is a measure drawing. Second year. And measure drawings tend to really fixate on wall sections and you know all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, very much object oriented. So what we decided to do is that say that okay, measure drawing to karenge. But what we'll do is that uh, we wanted to look at the rhythms of everyday life and space and time movement. Right? and we thought that the best uh, the best example for that is a comic book actually because comic books do that comic mm-hmm. books are able to collapse space collapse time stretch space stretch time mm-hmm. so we said that what we'll do is that we'll make a drawing that splices together comic book techniques with measure drawing techniques so we then evolved a mode of showing measure drawings conventional measure drawings actually the wall sections and every all of the above but every single one of these drawings is integrated with a narrative of people's lives um so what happens in this in a case like this is that the drawing emerges out of a question hmm. right? we are learning from different types but we are but we are choosing what to learn because there's something in particular that we want to ask oh wow really it's almost like a screenplay of a building hmm. yeah exactly what it was actually so you are able to see like if there's a if there's wood then where does the wood come from where the forest is and how it is used who's So it's all of that stuff but it's all all through measure drawings. No, the technique itself sounds amazing. Mm. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, well, yeah. uh but um of course we want to know do you have any questions for us? Yeah. No, not really. I mean, you know, I'm just curious as to how I mean like I, I, this is just something I've, i've been thinking about no how do you place yourselves as architects working in, Ger- in germany actually this is something that because you're asking me to ask I'm like wow because uh, does race play an important part of your identity there it's it's something that's never 
I have to say, uh, and not just diplomatically, I have to say we are very lucky where we work. Yeah. People are amazing. Uh, very uh, interesting work also. Interesting the way they uh, consider um, the techniques that we use, the, the way they consider the digital. Uh, it's not exactly completely all about uh, which software are we working on. Somehow everything collapses into a discussion about qualities. Uh, and that's the most fun part of working in this office. Um, race per se doesn't play uh, any direct role, almost negligible in everyday life. It's difficult to, I mean, at least personally, I, I hate uh, trying to figure out if someone is racist. Mm. I just hate that. Yeah. So unless something is overtly done to me, uh, I, 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 even, I think it's happened once where uh, I was at a train station and someone just spit in my face out of nothing. Mm. And that one's very easy to deal with because... I don't mean such an overt sort of moment yeah, of racism. Yeah. Uh, what I mean is, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you from my experience, when I was in America, maybe that's what I meant. I mean, there's a, it's a different generation, right? So you right. see yourselves differently. Uh, but when I was in America, we had this exercise in a, in a studio where a white boy and me, we had to stand at two ends. Of, it, was a, it was a sort of social architectural something. Stand at two ends of a, of, of a room and we had to keep walking one step towards each other. And we had to keep looking in each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's what the exercise was. And we had to tell people what we were thinking. And uh, what happens? What happened is that we kept walking, and at some point, that guy says, "I just can't walk anymore." And they asked why, and he said, "It's because of whatever, you know, men, two men, same room, same eye, eye contact, all of those things, the homophobia issue, whatever." Um, while uh, for me, my entire uh, sort of reaction was my was based on the fact that I was self conscious of being brown. Mm. Nobody had done anything. Understand? It was my own sorts of imagination of identity. Okay, that I felt like, yeah, you know, I am maybe coming too close for his comfort. It wasn't my comfort that was that. Uh, mm. I saw myself as brown. I saw myself as, um, I wouldn't say inferior. Yeah, but I guess you could say inferior to you know, sort of post-colonial world. No? Uh, I, uh, but I did see myself as a person out of place. That is for certain. Somebody who did yeah. not necessarily, and he, nobody did anything. I never experienced a single moment of racism in my two years of architecture, in the overt sense. I would yeah. say, so a kind of construction of my identity that had internalized uh, brownness, maybe. No, I mean, yeah, I think there is. Uh, I uh, I can clearly say that uh, this way of speaking of race is uh, yes, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, there is this consciousness, but it is quite specific now. I think, uh, especially as a single Indian Indian male, uh, since Nirbhaya, mm. there are, at least in the sort of libidinal world uh, that we live in, uh, yes, you are way more conscious. You, yeah. you carry the responsibility of the reputations of your uh, upbringing and... Uh, people you represent a little bit more i guess uh you worry about those things uh, at work though when it comes to architecture what i find especially 
uh, fulfilling and and satisfying is that uh, there is i wouldn't say it's a, it's not a question of um, prestige uh, it's more a question of that there is i found people from all over the world uh, trusting uh, the institutions that i claim to have been trained at yeah no so, I, so there is always that welcoming uh, so architecturally <laughs> as an architect yes i i don't have to worry about it and i also think there is this i would personally attribute it in a way also to this kind of know your privilege situation mm-hmm. i mean the if i was to look at it from the moment i arrived here in 2017 to now the kind of circles that i ended up getting exposed to i couldn't i i did not sort of you know feel this n- not just overt even uh and an undercurrent because i feel i was also like, lucky enough to be exposed or was hanging out with people who were these kind of people who were especially where i was living when i first moved here it, it was a building filled with these kind of you know uh, young professionals in the age group of 23 to 32 something like that and each one of them facing those similar problems that every <laughs> individual at around that age is feeling that same boss ke sath lafda and you know uh, i have to pay my bills i have to clean the house i have to do this the, these kind of spaces that at least i was exposed to i i sort of felt suddenly like it's in fact it was a it was a reverse thing that is i came with a lot of prejudice <laughs> that i am going to be sort of looked at through many different uh, i do you know that the world has changed i mean when i when i went it was what 1994 no yeah and that was what 30 whatever years back right it's quite yeah. a long time yeah right so it is different i mean the way germany yeah. has changed india has changed at that point i think um, uh, we did not have that much exposure to the world outside either yeah, yeah. when you and also in other words the only exposure i probably had to what was europe Uh, or america for that matter came through popular culture and nothing else yeah. there was nothing else yeah. uh, and even that, and even that popular culture only came um, in 1992 when we had uh, when we had what satellite television right. before yeah. that was be controlled by the state so so in that in many ways i think uh, i think your you guys are you guys are living in a in a, in a much in a much in a different sort of mediated world entirely yeah. then world Uh, where uh, i mean i'm in frankfurt but it it's not really known for it but it's quite a metropolitan uh, mix of people here uh, sorry cosmopolitan mix of people here we yeah. have people from all over the world uh, that we meet almost on a yeah. daily basis or at least people uh, who whose families are all from all over the world who came to germany in the last 20 years grew up here or went to architecture school here and uh, the sort of difference is always acknowledged 
and negotiated quite smoothly the here and now and we i i personally experienced it for a good part of the last 6 years and germany in particular i find to be very very open compared to the other countries i've been to even in europe mm. i mean actually germany is a is the country i think i've been to the most number of times besides the netherlands for some damn reason or the other and not italy ha huh? italy not italy. I've been to once. No, Germany. You get called for these lectures. Yeah, I've been to Berlin twice, thrice, thrice to Berlin and Hamburg and hmm. uh, once at Stuttgart, I think, and Kassel and Göttingen. There was a place near. Göttingen, Göttingen, Göttingen. I think that's where you gave that. Uh, the, you screened yeah. the film and gave a lecture, something like that. I remember. Yeah, that was no, recently. I mean, yeah. And and and. Uh, I, I, Germany is, I think, one of the. more it's always had a history of uh, of being interested in the world outside no it's, it's a deeply philosophical uh, kind of culture yeah, yeah the frankfurt yeah. school is uh, 20 minutes from where we are sitting yeah onward it's newer it's always been in the world no yeah yeah so, the germanics yeah great all right great okay. rohan uh, we can talk for hours and hours but uh, i think we have to stop thank you so much for doing this it was enjoyable enough thanks for the conversation so there you go guys that was our conversation with rohan shiv kumar hope you guys enjoyed that one stay tuned for more such conversations coming ahead please follow us on instagram that's where we post our updates regarding the new conversations that are going to be uploaded uh our podcast is available on youtube in video form on spotify itunes and google podcasts in audio form like it share it and most importantly let us know what you think